thank you so much. And uh, I can say that um, I can tell you that Pastor and I are just um, just overwhelmed with how much y'all have expressed your love to us today. And we want to thank you for that. Uh, just an incredible blessing. And people sharing just their care for us and their love for us uh, just expressing that and talking to us after church this morning and so forth. I just want to let you know we really appreciate it. It's encouraging um, when God's people uh, just encourage us in what we do. So I want to thank you for that and being thankful for it. Uh, pastor's not here tonight. They're, um, they're out of town for the evening. Um, they'll be back tomorrow and uh, he'll be getting back to work. And um, I asked him, I said, so we, uh, we're going to have meetings tomorrow and stuff because he's been so busy with everything the last two weeks. It's been crazy. Um, but, uh, but pray for him, give him safety. And uh, the healing will show, and uh, just want to praise God for them. I thank God for the opportunity to be here tonight, to have his word, to be able to teach, and to be able to open it and, and proclaim to you what God has in his word. Um, I, I toyed around with the idea of teaching through a whole book of the Bible tonight. So let's turn to Philemon. <laughs> let's turn to Philemon. It's in the back. Testament. If you're familiar with the books of the Bible, you're going to be going through the Word of God, and you're going to see First um, and Second Timothy, Titus, and then Philemon, and Hebrews, and James. So if you pass Hebrews, you went too far, and if you're seeing Timothy, you're you're getting close. So uh, if you look at Philemon, now it's not a very big book of the Bible. As you can see, it's one one whole chapter. Um, if you ever want to uh, feel like you've, you're discouraged and you ever feel like, well, I want to get into the Word of God, but I feel like there's just so much in some place to read, turn to, Tit turn to Philemon, turn to Titus or Jude or one of these shorter books and read the whole book and set the Bible down and say, wow, I just read a whole book of the Bible. And that's a great place to start to get encouraged and knowing that you just read a whole book of the Bible and there's truth and God's Word in it. Well, the book of Philemon is a really interesting book. We are not going to study the whole book this evening. However, I want to give you an introduction to the book, and then if we have time, I'm going to dive into the first three verses, okay? So I know we're, we have a time frame here we need to end with, and I need to be uh, careful with that. But we're going to look at Philemon, hopefully chapter uh, this one chapter, verses 1 through 3. So as we look in the Bible here, I want you to see that, uh, that uh, Philemon is the 57th book in the Bible. Now, do you know how many books are in the Bible? Anybody here? How many? 66. And it's divided into what? Two sections. What's the first section called? Old Testament. The second section is New Testament. Okay? So as we study the Word of God and we see what God gives us in these books, the 57th book of the Bible is found in the New Testament, and it is the book of Philemon. It is one chapter. It is 25 verses, and it is 445 words. It's a lot of reading. But the message of Philemon is incredible. It might just be a little book, but the message of God's grace that we find in Philemon is amazing. As we look in Philemon, we see that two times Paul mentions that he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to stop there. We're going to get into this a little bit more, but I want you to consider this. Paul is writing the book of Philemon from a prison cell in Rome. This is known as one of the prison epistles. There are four prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. So he writes these books while he's in jail, in prison. Now, mind you, he's in prison for preaching the word of God. 
He's in prison for, for spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, he is arrested and put into prison. So when Paul in Philemon, we see him make the statement that he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ. When we look at verse 1, we're going to see here that he literally is the prisoner because he proclaimed Jesus Christ. And we're going to study that a little bit more as we get further into the passage. We see here that Paul mentions his own name three times in the whole book. And we look at that and we break it down. He writes the book to Philemon, and Philemon is a believer in the church of Colossae. Now, the book of Philemon was written about the same time that the book of Colossians was written. But Philemon was written specifically to, obviously, the person the book's named after, Philemon. But it's also written to Philemon's wife and son, and also the house church that met in their house. So we see that this is a, a book directed to a fellowship of believers about a, a specific issue, and in this issue, the grace of God is what is really brought out in it. So as we look at this, we see the book was written about 61 to 62 AD, uh, give or take a little bit there, and we see that in this, uh, if you continue to study the history of this book, uh, Tychicus was the one who delivered the letter to Philemon. Now, that's, that's the same guy who delivered the church letter to Colossae. Uh, he is that same person. So he was one of those men who could communicate for Paul and deliver these messages. We see here that the epistle is often called a private epistle because it is directed specifically to a person and a house church and his family. We see here that there's another character that emerges as we read the book. We see Onesimus is one of those char characters. We see uh, uh, um, I, I, uh, I'm trying to remember the name now. I'm sorry. Um, the Apipha or Aphia is one of the other characters, and then uh, another character that we see emerge in this book is also Archippus. Now, if you want to say Archippus correctly, you have to say it in a Jewish or Hebrew type way, which is Archippus. Okay, so just keep that in mind as you want to study and speak like you know what you're talking about. For tonight's sake, and since I don't know very much of what I'm talking about, we'll just call him Archippus, okay? So in the study that we do here, there's another character, though, who emerges, and his name is Onesimus. And Onesimus is one of the main characters besides um, uh, Philemon in this book, and we're going to learn about Onesimus a little bit. Onesimus, in this book, we're going to see as the story unfolds, he's a runaway slave. He runs away from the uh, the uh, Colossian, uh, the Colossae area, and his owner uh, is named Philemon. Now, when Onesimus ran away, the, the tradition and what we study would lead you to believe that he didn't just uh, run, he wasn't just a slave who escaped, he also stole or took some of the belongings of Philemon with him to make it on his journey. Now, one of the things we have to see and, and understand about about what this book of the Bible unfolds for us is on the run, Onesimus was arrested and then imprisoned with the Apostle Paul in Rome. Now, I want to stop and say this. Did Paul belong in prison? No. He was doing what God told him to do, but yet he ended up in prison. How many times in your life have you done what you believe the right thing to do from the Word of God is, and it ended up causing you pain and distress in your life? Anybody here? 
I can tell you, it's happened to me. When you do the right thing, sometimes the results are not easy to have to live with. Paul did the right thing. He, he obeyed God. He proclaimed Jesus Christ, and for doing so, he ended up in prison. But I think it's amazing. We read the stories in the New Testament about Paul being in prison. And when Paul was in prison, he wasn't angry and mad and venomous and treating everybody horrible and, and crying out, woe is me, and complaining to everybody that would listen. When Paul was in prison, he's singing God's praises and preaching Jesus Christ to everybody that would listen. I think of our brother, Michael Washington. He's not here tonight. Maybe he's watching on live on the live stream. Michael Washington... Uh, his job is he gets chained to, to prisoners, and they t he takes prisoners to doctor's appointments. Michael is a soul-winning machine. So when they handcuff him to a prisoner, he says, do you know anything about Jesus? <laughs> and he talks about Jesus to this person all day long as he's handcuffed to this prisoner. Can you imagine? I think it'd be the same way being, being handcuffed the Apostle Paul. You would have heard about Jesus constantly. You would have seen a man who was in love with Jesus and nothing else, knowing that the only reason that you're handcuffed to him is because Jesus wanted you handcuffed to him. The only reason I'm in jail is because Jesus wanted me in jail. And if he wanted me in jail, it was for a reason. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look for that reason, and I'm going to tell everybody I can about Jesus Christ in this heart place in my life. Amen? That's the Apostle Paul. What an incredible example for you and I to read about in Scripture, because sometimes life doesn't put us in optimal circumstances, does it? It's real easy to complain. It's real easy to get down. It's, listen, I'm not preaching to you something that I don't deal with in my life. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but getting into a place where you feel depressed is not that difficult, is it? Someone who battles with depression, and they, they constantly fight staying encouraged. And someone who, who const, or is facing a, a major issue in their life. I mean, I know, I know there's people in our congregation, people in our fellowship here, that they're dealing with cancer right now. And sometimes uh, when you deal with issues that are, that are life-threatening like that, and, and that you have to deal with, you might come and find yourself in a place where you're saying, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? I'll tell you why God is allowing this in your life. Well, first of all, it's because when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it, it created problems in this world, and one of those problems was disease. Amen? We all understand that. In the process of doing that, disease is going to take its natural course across humanity and the lives it represents. And as it does this, as we struggle with, with cancer and other physical ailments, when we, when we have to go to the doctor because our knees aren't working right or our ears aren't working right or our eyes aren't working right or, hey, you fill in the blank. We have a lot of things that don't work right, correct? <laughs> I mean, they got doctors, pages and pages and pages of them on Yahoo when you search for a specific area just in Jacksonville. I mean, listen, guys, there are problems. If we have issues with our emotions and, and, and with our, our mental state, our healthy state mentally, and we have to go to a counselor, listen, there's a reason why that happens. It's because sin entered into this world. But folks, just because sin entered into this world and just because we have to deal with the repercussions of sin doesn't mean we can't give God glory and tell people about Jesus while we're dealing with it, right? So the Apostle Paul lives this. He doesn't just tell us to do this and then live another way. Paul's life, as we see it recorded in Scripture, 
time and time again shows us how the Apostle Paul gets into deep and dark places that he could get very discouraged, that he could become very angry, that he could feel like God has abandoned him in. He has been in these places and time and time again. We read story after story in the scripture where we find Paul praising God and lifting his voice and singing and constantly telling people around him about Jesus. Listen, when we look at this book, we see that Onesimus, he gets arrested and he so happens to be in prison with the apostle Paul. What are the chances? You want to talk about a divine appointment. As Onesimus gets put into prison with the Apostle Paul through the course of Paul's witness and Paul telling Onesimus who Jesus Christ is, Onesimus comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And you can see this because in verse 10 of Philemon, you'll see that Paul refers to Onesimus as his son. Well, Onesimus was not physically Paul's son. Spiritually, Onesimus had become Paul's son because Paul led him to Jesus Christ. So we see here that Paul, in this book, as we read it and as we dive into it, we're going to see that Paul sees Onesimus come to Jesus Christ. There's a change that takes place in Onesimus' life, that in this change, there's a different outlook on what he ought to be doing as a believer in Jesus Christ. And in that... Paul begins to help Onesimus to to put a plan in place to reconcile his relationship with Philemon. Now, I think this is interesting in what we see here. Paul's not trying to help Onesimus to, to, um, to get out of being a slave to Philemon. Paul is not trying to excuse Onesimus's behavior away to Philemon. And Paul is not questioning Philemon's authority over the ownership of Onesimus. Now, this is the importance of all that. In the culture that they lived in, 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 in that time frame, slaves were very common. Now, slaves were a part of society, and slaves were also a part of government. It was ingrained in them. There were laws and rules that governed how they owned and handled slavery. We see here that Paul in Philemon, we're going to see that he does not question Philemon's ownership of Onesimus. He does not, he does not call uh, Philemon out and, and, and rebuke him for the ownership of Onesimus. But what Paul does is, as we look in the scripture, and we're going to study this out over the next three or four sermons that I'm able to preach through this book, he appeals to, to Philemon's heart for love and grace to treat Onesimus the way God has treated Philemon. Now, as we look at the passage here and we see this scripture, I said, now again, I, I understand this is all introduction to help us wrap our minds around this book of the Bible. As we see here, we see that, that uh, Paul doesn't write this book based on a doctrinal uh, treatise. He does not write this book and and have to reaffirm his apostleship as he does in other books. Paul writes this book because he's trying to help his son in the faith, Onesimus. He's trying to help him repair, to be able to uh, reconcile a relationship with someone that he had done very wrong. Now, mind you, Philemon had the power within him 
when, when Onesimus goes back to him after he's in jail here, Philemon has the power to do anything he wants to punish Onesimus for what he's done. But Paul is appealing to Philemon's heart and grace to treat Onesimus like a brother in Christ and not a slave. As we see here, we look at the passage of Scripture and we see that slavery is a big part of this book of the Bible. Slavery was a social thing. Slavery was the sole property. A slave was a sole property of their owner. And they could do with them as they pleased. And slavery has its consequences. Now, I want you to understand that some of people in our society and some people in our world, um, they, they want to talk about slavery. Well, let's talk about slavery from a biblical perspective. God's original plan for mankind was for not, not to have slavery. In the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect. Man and woman functioned together equally in the Garden of Eden. That's how God designed us. He designed us to equally be able to work together and to live together and for there to be peace and harmony and grace and, and, and so forth that there was no sin, there was no hatred, there was no pride, there was no... I mean, could you imagine your marriage with no pride? Oh, y'all are looking at me funny now. I love it when y'all do that. Could you imagine your marriage where there was no pride at all? Could you imagine your marriage where there was never, ever, ever a disagreement? Y'all would be like Sandy and I. We get, I mean, there's never a problem. No, seriously, even in the best, even in the best marriages, even in the best marriages, there's disagreement and there's pride and there's friction and there's things that take place that cause two people who have their own wills and their own ways sometimes to have a problem. But that's not the way God designed it in the Garden of Eden. And unfortunately, in the Garden of Eden, there was the fall. And because of the fall, we became slaves. We became slaves to each other. Regardless of whether you own someone or not, you're a slave to everybody around you. You look at the Word of God and you look at Genesis chapter 3, we're a, sla we're a slave to the earth. We are slaves to the earth. You say, well, how is that? Because the only way we can sustain our lives on this earth is by work, tilling the ground, taking care of the land, some paying somebody else to do it so we don't have to. One way or another, we have our hand in the earth being cultivated for our ability to sustain life. We're slaves to the earth. You look at what the, the Word of God tells us in Genesis chapter 3, we're slaves to sin. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, we became slaves to sin. And it's only through Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary that we can be liberated and have freedom from the bondage of sin. However, that bondage is not fully complete until the day we leave this place and no longer have this nature that we have been born with that is a sin nature. So our whole lives, even though we've been liberated and freed from the bonds of sin, we still have to deal with the effects of sin and the temptation of sin in our lives. The last thing is we're a slave to death. You look at Genesis chapter 3, and when man sinned in the garden, he set a death sentence for himself. Not just a physical death sentence, but now there's a spiritual death sentence that has been put in place. We are dead in the trespasses of our sin, the Bible says. 
So understand that when we look at Genesis chapter 3, we can see that slavery has been around since the fall of man. It's not the way God intended for it to be. But because, because of the fall of man, slavery entered into this world. So we see here Onesimus is, is, is an interesting character, isn't he? He's, he happens to end up in prison with Paul. He hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and he becomes a believer. And now Paul is trying to help him reconcile this relationship with his owner, Philemon. Here's another interesting fact about the book of Philemon, Onesimus. Now, you all know that I like bringing this into things because I think it's always interesting in the Bible. You're going to see a play on words of Onesimus' name in this book of the Bible in Philemon. Onesimus' name means profitable. Profitable. So we're going to see Paul in this story use the term unprofitable and profitable when he talks to us. And we're going to study about that a little bit more. But I want you to consider Onesimus' name. It means profitable. So when we, when we look at this book of the Bible and we see that Paul writes Philemon, he's saying, hey, this guy, is, his name isn't just profitable. He is profitable. Now, I want you to understand this. When we are dead in the trespasses of our sin and we come to Jesus Christ and we are, we are set free from sin and we are forgiven, we are profitable to God because God then incorporates us through the saving grace that he's given us to be the conduit at which he wants to declare his message to the world. And the greatest profit we could ever be part of is the souls that get saved from the gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed. Listen, we could build huge church facilities. We could buy hundreds of acres of campus. We could, we could do all kinds of stuff in this place and, and have all kinds of things. We could buy the best chairs and the, the best sound equipment and the best instruments and the best cameras and the best everything. But do you know what's going to happen when the end of this earth comes? What's going to happen to it all? going to be burned up but what about the souls that we proclaim the gospel of jesus christ to and they come to faith in jesus christ when we when we invest eternally and we understand the value to being profitable to god as a conduit to share the gospel message no matter where we're at paul gives us this example he's in jail he is in jail. I'm not talking about our kind of jail with cable TV and air conditioning and three meals a day and, and, and you can sign up to be a lawyer and, and gain your degree. And I'm not talking about that kind of jail. I'm talking about a stinky, nasty jail with dirt floors and you hardly got any food. You're lucky to get water. There was probably not any light hard to see. Listen, th these were disgusting places. There was, there was no group that went around and investigated to make sure that they got a certain amount of food every day and they had a certain amount of time out in the, in the, in the yard to exercise and they, had, uh, they were sure to have their mental health and they got their dentist appointments every week. This wasn't that kind of jail. But yet, even in this horrible place, Paul's able to praise God. Paul's able to live his life as a believer and stay focused. Listen, Stay focused on the eternal profit to leading people to Jesus Christ. Listen, folks, if there's one thing I believe our church, I say our church, I mean myself and every other believer that I interact with. I come in contact with very few believers, 
that genuinely have a mind focused on people needing to be saved. Because we get so, you know, did I just say we? We, including me, all of us, we get caught up in what we're doing through work. We get caught up in what we're doing at home. We get caught up in what we're doing with our families. We get caught up in all the stuff in this world, and it seems to be getting caught up in it. We lose sight of the necessity to focus on Jesus and the gospel message is the most important thing we could ever do in our life. It seems to be when we get comfortable, we're too comfortable to give the gospel. And when we end up in a painful situation, we're too distressed to give the gospel. So at what point in time do we see the importance to give the gospel? Folks, we have to make up our mind like Paul did, that no matter what state I am, I'm going to be content and I'm going to focus on the gospel, the eternality of every soul and their need to hear about Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection and their need to be saved. And I'm going to focus on not what's happening to me in the depth and darkness despairs, but in the necessity, I'm going to focus on what heaven has to hold on me. The hope that lies within us. Is our hope in having a bigger paycheck? Is our hope in having a better car? Is our hope in having a nicer house? Or is our hope in seeing people come to Jesus Christ so that heaven will gain more and more kingdom work through the people that come to faith and the knowledge and, and the repentance that they find in Jesus Christ? The hope that we have is in the return. The return of Jesus Christ for all those who believe. And the hope is that we will live our lives in such a way that we'll have, we will have done our part to do everything we can to see every person that we can come under the sound of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that when we stand before him, we've taken our talents, our resources that we've given and we've multiplied them with the traitors, the people who need Jesus, and they've been able to come to faith in Jesus Christ as God sees fit. And we can stand before him and be told, well done thou good and faithful servant, that we don't stand before him in, in, in shame or in, in, in embarrassment because we took what he gave us and we dug a hole and we put it in the ground and hid it. Paul stayed focused on the gospel. And folks, the reality is I am not focused on the gospel enough in my personal life. I'll admit it. There are things that I allow to take my attention and my time that gets me off target with the gospel. I want to ask you tonight, would you take a look at your life, and you don't have to say it out loud, I'll admit it, I, I, I'm going to set the example here, I need to become more gospel-focused in my personal life. Do you? Do you see the need to understand the, and the necessity of looking for those opportunities to share Jesus Christ with those around us because they need him, whether it's in plenty or in want? We look at the book of Philemon, and we see that Paul, in the introduction that I'm giving, gives this information to us as his life and what he lives. Onesimus did dishonor his name. His name is profitable, but he dishonored that name. He became unprofitable. He actually came to a place where he cost Philemon money. Philemon lost a slave. History would tell us that, that Philemon lost goods because Onesimus took goods with him. 
And now Philemon is having to face legal battles to get his slave back to him. So Onesimus not only became unprofitable, he, began, he, he came to a place where he was actually costing his owner money. Onesimus is now is not, not as profitable as Philemon had intended. But Paul points out to Philemon in this book that we too once stood in a place with God where we needed grace and love. So let's look tonight. We have just a few minutes at verses 1 through 3 tonight. We're going to talk about the greeting that Paul gives them in the book of Philemon. You see here it says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, unto our beloved Apha and Archibus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord Jesus Christ. We see here that, as I said before, we're going to talk about a little bit more tonight, Paul, in verse 1, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, a prisoner. That's to say, a prisoner of Rome. Now, he was in Roman custody, in a Roman jail, and Rome held the authority over him on this earth where he was at. However, Paul looked beyond Rome and saw God is the one who had ordained the moment that he was in and the place he was at as something God had in his life for him to do. So he looked for God's work to be done where God had placed him at. And he tells, he tells Philemon, if you look here, Paul, a prisoner of who? Does he say a prisoner of Rome? Does he say a prisoner of bad circumstance and bad luck? Does he say a prisoner of, of, of misfinancial fortune? Does he say a prisoner of people that treated me bad? No. He says a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Listen, if something bad happens into your life, it does not mean we have to let that thing be what imprisons us. We can still pick ourselves up and declare that no matter what has happened to us, we are still a child of God, and nothing in this world has control over us. It is God who controls us. It is God who works and lives within us, and we can live our lives under God's authority, not sickness authority, not legal authority, not financial authority, not, not uh, people who betrayed us in authority. Listen, we can live in God's authority. And that's what Paul focuses on here. He says, listen, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ, even though I sit in a Roman jail. God put me here. I'm his prisoner. I'm what he wants me to be. I'm right where he wants me at. And therefore, I'm going to do what he's called me to do. We see here that Paul says, and Timothy, our brother. Now, the idea here is that Timothy had probably come to visit Paul by request. Paul had sent message to him and asked him to come visit him there in prison. And in that, uh, Tychicus comes with Timothy and is a part of that. We'll see that later on. We see here that Timothy uh, had been there at Paul's request. The next thing we see here, we see unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. I love this term. I love this term. Our dearly beloved. Now, John, the, the, the Apostle John, who wrote first uh, uh, the Gospel of John, and he wrote first, second, and third John, and he wrote the book of Revelation. Okay, that John, we we see this John in the scriptures, and especially when he reads when he writes first, second, and third John, he uses this term as he writes, and he refers to those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior, as the beloved. I love how. Paul here takes that term and he, he refers to Philemon as being 
one of the beloved. That means that Paul recognizes that Philemon has, has, has recognized Jesus Christ as Savior and has identified himself with the church and with Jesus Christ, and Paul identifies him as one who is a child of God. Then we see the next thing Paul says about Philemon. He says, our fellow laborer. That's to say, this is a co-worker. This is, this is someone who works alongside us. Now, uh, if we look here and we see that Paul, in his life devoted to Jesus Christ, and we all, in Bible, as Bible students, uh, in times in church, have heard all that Paul has went through in ministry. Paul looks to Philemon and he says, you're a co-laborer. You're someone, you're not working for me, Philemon. You're one of those guys that works with me. And we see that here, that Paul recognizes Philemon as a leader in the church and someone who works alongside of him to do what? What do we say Paul was always focused on? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Philemon was focused on the gospel. He's a co-laborer. He's one who is right there in the trenches with Paul trying to tell people about Jesus and trying to tell people about how God can save them. We look in this passage of scripture and we see that, that, uh, that Timothy, or excuse me, that Philemon is, is called out and Paul describes him as one of the beloved and a fellow laborer. Now, I want to stop there and say this. If you look through church history and you look through the scripture's history, you will find out that one man can do a lot for Jesus Christ. But in the gospels, Jesus Christ sends his people out two by two. Two by two. When you look at the church, it says where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. There's a group. There's a reason why we as believers need fellowship with other believers. And we need to make sure that we cultivate good fellowship with other believers. When we look at this passage of Scripture, I think it's important that we understand the importance of being a fellow laborer in the work of God. I want to circle around to something that I said this morning regarding our church. Listen, we have an awesome pastor, amen? And, and the associate pastor, he's so-so. And we, you know, we have awesome ministry directors. I mean, when you look at, at Miss Charity and the dedication she has to our children's, our preschool ministry and what she does there, she is dedicated, organizing, trying to get people involved so that we can have these classes taken care of so we can minister to these little children at a young age, teaching them about Jesus very young to help them learn about who God is. And I'll tell you what, if you want to know some lessons about what these kids are learning, you go talk to Miss Betty and she'll tell you some of the foundations of what she teaches them. But you better have some time because she's going to go through it, Okay. Listen, Miss Charity has, has, has awesome folks that work with her in the nursery and the preschool ministries, and, and she organizes that, and she does that. She is a co-laborer here with Pastor and I. Now, her, her title might not be Pastor, but she's vital to the work of God in this place and bringing people to Jesus. You look at, at Miss Kim in the children's ministry. You look at Skylar in the teen ministry. You look at Jeff in the music ministry. Listen, I, I understand they don't have pastor in front of their title, but they are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as is every one of us in this room right now that know Jesus Christ as our Savior. We are all ministers together, co-laborers together. Now, God has called me to labor a little bit differently than what he may have called you to, but we're both vital to the work that takes place in the kingdom here in Oakleaf and around the world. Amen? Amen? Every one of us is vital. That's why it's so important 
that each and every one of us becomes part of the church and then finds the place where we can be a fellow laborer, a co-labor, someone who works alongside others to accomplish the great kingdom work that we've been called to. The church was not called to sit, it was called to serve. And in doing so, we've got to find that place that God wants us to serve, and we've got to lean into it. Now, if I had a thousand pounds up on this platform right now, and I said, I said, Bob, I want you to come up here and I want you to move this thousand pounds for me. Just pick it up and move it. Ain't gonna happen. But I dare say, if I called everybody in this room up here to get around this weight, and we got organized and we got maybe some some apparatuses to help us lift it together. If all of us together lift that thousand pounds, no one of us is carrying a thousand pounds. We're all carrying a little bit of the load to take that where we need to take it. Is it going to be hard? Yes. Does it going to need organization? Yes. Is it going to require working together and maybe tripping on one another and maybe bumping into one another and, 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 and you know, having to work close enough that it causes maybe some discomfort? Yes. But I guarantee you, if I said I'll pay each and every one of you a million dollars, if we can get this 1,000-pound weight from here out to the end of the parking lot where the entryway is, if every one of you is going to get a million dollars, I bet you we'd figure out a way to look past each other, bumping into one another, smelling one another, stepping on one another, trying to work together. We'd figure it out because we know there's something good at the end, right? Folks, it's no different than the eternal work that we've been called to in the kingdom. Except the kingdom pay the kingdom pay is far greater. It's people spending eternity in heaven rather than hell. It's, it's Jesus Christ being glorified and honored. It's his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, fulfilling the, the plan in which God established it to fulfill. And yes, if we try to accomplish that together, we're going to step on one another. We're going to rub into one another, and we're going to sweat on one another, and we're going to sometimes we're going to get frustrated with one another because we're trying to get this done all together because we know that the kingdom is the greatest goal, and it, heaven and eternity is the greatest price. But folks, we have to understand the importance as co-laborers, as co-laborers to work together to accomplish it. The second thing, I have to go fast here. It's, I got four minutes. It's verse two. And to our beloved Apha, or Apphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in the tiny house, in thy house. Now, Apha, this is an interesting thing. If you study this out, you'll find out that Apha is probably Philemon's wife. And if you study a little bit further, Archippus is probably their son. Very interesting. And this house that, they, that we see here, it's the church that met in their house. So they have people that come and meet with them in their home to worship. So I want you to understand, Paul is writing this church. He's writing this family. He's writing Philemon. And the idea here is he's trying to instruct them on how to apply the grace of God and the love of God. He's appealing to their hearts to look at Onesimus as a redeemed child of God and not just a slave who ran away. As we look here, we jump to verse 3. 
He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. So in his greeting, Paul declares who he is and who's with him and who he's writing to. He's writing, he, he says that, that in this he wants grace and peace. Now notice where grace and peace is coming from, according to Paul. It's coming from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if we're looking for grace and peace anywhere else, we're going to fall short. In something in this world, you're going to be greatly disappointed. It's only temporary. If you're looking for grace, forgiveness outside of God's forgiveness and the forgiveness he teaches us about, it's always going to fall short. See, this grace here, I think this is a thing. I, I read this, and, and I, let, me, let me give it to you here. It, it was out of uh, Albert Barnes. I think Pastor read from that uh, Albert Barnes this morning. He says, by grace, it means an increase of grace. As to its degrees, the acts, the exercise of grace, that, that is the grace is in, it's in an imperfect place in its respect, but it continues to grow and to move, to be perfected. This is awesome. Yes, you have grace in your life. When you got saved, God, God gave you grace, right? But that wasn't a one-time dose of grace. His grace continues to grow and grow. It's like yeast sitting in a, in a, in a loaf of bread, and it's just growing and growing and growing, and pretty soon it's pushing the towel off the top of the bowl, and it's growing and it's growing, and it's just getting bigger and bigger, and there is no stop to the grace of God in a believer's life. There's no stop to it. It continues to grow and grow and grow and grow until that day where we no longer live on this earth. And then we get the fullness of his grace when we stand before him in glory. Amen? So Paul says, listen, grace, the continual outpouring, this always growing, this always, and listen, I think this is interesting. One of the things he says in, in this writing here is, he says, um, there is such a thing as growing in grace, which is a very desirable thing and may be expected from God who is able to make all grace to abound and has promised to give more where grace is needed. So you don't think you have enough grace? Call, call in the name of the Lord and tell him, I need, I need more grace in my life. God, help me. And he will provide and he'll never fall short. The next thing we see Paul tells us here is, and peace. Now, by peace here, he means the peace of God through Christ. Listen, you can only find real peace through Jesus Christ. That's the only place it's going to come from. Listen, if you've watched the news cycles, you'll see that our president has, has been working on peace deals for Israel, right? I think we've had three countries now sign on uh, a peace deal with Israel to begin negotiations or talks with them to, for Israel to be able to have um, uh, stations in their countries. Uh, what do they call them? Um, what is it? The consulates, yes, in, in these countries. Thank you very much. And, and uh, you did good. You could do this. <laughs> Listen, it is amazing. We, we think, hey, this is an awesome thing. It is, it is an awesome thing that we're seeing uh, uh, countries try to work that out. However, do you know that Israel is never going to experience the real peace of God until Jesus sits on the throne of David? Then they're going to experience peace. But in your life, there's a lot of false things out there that temporarily can give you peace.
but it's only temporary. It doesn't come to an end. It doesn't have the power to last. But your peace you find in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness you can get from the cross of Calvary, it will never end. No matter how your life gets shaken up, no matter whether you're facing death itself, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are, you are able to focus on the fact that you have a relationship with God the Father. And no matter if this body does not make it another day, the peace of God is going to pass all understanding. And I'm going to find my rest and secure myself in who Jesus Christ is and what he did for me. And I know I have an eternal home in heaven because I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. And this body isn't going to last forever. I knew that when I, I, I every, hey, 100% of people die. Have you figured that out? So where are you going to find peace? Paul says, listen, the peace of God. And he says here, listen, it only comes, look at what he says. From who? From God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul directs this church, Philemon and his family, directly to Jesus Christ. You want grace? You want peace? You got to go to Jesus. Listen, this is a phenomenal book. Uh, just one of those books that uh, has been a pleasure to study and get ready for tonight. But I want to let you know that, that this peace that Paul encouraged them with is not just a peace with God, it's a peace with your conscience. It's a peace with your conscience, knowing that you've been forgiven by God. Listen, folks, Philemon's an awesome book. I have about four sermons I'm going to preach through over the course of the next several months as pastor gives me opportunity to preach on Sunday nights, um, we're going to work through this book of Philemon, and we'll get done some point in time as God sees fit. But I want to encourage you tonight, listen. There was a day in every one of our lives where we were imprisoned by the sin of this world. We were destined for an eternal hell because we ran from God. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He extended grace and love and offered peace. And isn't it great to know that we can have that if, if we don't have it? And if we do have it, we can live in it. And Paul's telling us in Philemon, he's trying to give us instruction on how to do that. So I want to encourage you. I don't know where you're at in your lives. I look in this crowd and I know that there's people that are facing incredible challenges right now, physically, financially, from your family perspective, from all that's going on. Listen, there's things going on in each and every one of your lives. And I'm here to tell you today that God has enough grace to help you through what you're dealing with. He can provide you with more peace than you could ever imagine. And my question is, while you face these things, are you going to focus on the opportunities to look for gospel moments where you can tell people about Jesus? And let the peace and grace of God flow from you, not just be in you, but let it flow from you in that river of forgiveness that God has put in your life so that others can experience it as well. Listen, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for how you love us and care for us. I want to thank you for Philemon and the example that we've been given. Thank you for Paul and his willingness to focus on you even in hard times and in circumstances that he didn't even deserve. I pray, God, that you'll help us to embrace peace and grace and love as we deal with things in our lives that we don't think we deserve. And we don't get down and discouraged 
and fall into despair, but we look for those opportunities to see the eternal investment on telling others about Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.